Welcome to Theatrically Speaking, the very first playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. Season one is republishing the long-lost first episodes of the show from back in 2007. And season two begins the new episodes. Now, a few things have changed since 2007, like the website. For more information about Theatrically Speaking or my other podcasts, please visit actualstorypodcasting.com. Next, back in 2007, you could number your episodes however you like, and I did this very creative numbering system that included episodes 4.1, 4.15, 4.2, and no actual episode 4. The numbering that the episodes have in your feed is the order that you should listen to them. So, welcome in to the Theatrically Speaking Wayback Machine. It's time to talk some plays. I hate movies, I don't watch TV, I can't read books, and I don't take kids to the zoo. Video games are gonna rot your brain, and all these internets are for idiots, but I love you, baby dear, but you ain't no Shakespeare. Try to make me to be high class, and I would take the guys, how you doing? Welcome to Theatrically Speaking, almost a playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. I am your host of this. This is episode 3.1, uh, the first of uh, two episode series on presentation, on how to present yourself. This episode, 3.1, we're going to talk about uh, just in general presenting yourself and making sure that your play is ready to go and looking good and the way it is supposed to look. Next episode, we're going to talk about how to tweak that and how to approach uh, the actual submission process and how to present yourself to a new theater company, you as a new playwright, uh, and all of that kind of thing. So that'll be that'll be kind of fun. We'll do that a little bit. I do want to start with uh, with two little things. Uh, the first is that, as we speak, the city of Frederick, Maryland is building a road through my backyard, so you may have a little bit of background noise there. At the same time that they are doing that, our neighbor is actually putting in a new driveway. So you may hear some of that. Uh, But that's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It's like real-world stuff. It's gritty. It's it's life. All right. And the second thing is that I I did miss an episode last week, and I missed it uh, for two things. Two two things happened. On Wednesdays is the the day that I normally record this, the, the rhythm that I have gotten into. And last Wednesday, I was unexpectedly called into work. Uh, I have lately had Wednesdays off, and that is why I've chosen Wednesday, though not not last week. I would have done it over the weekend, except that uh, Lisa's parents were here visiting and just did not have quiet space and time to get her done. But I'm still finding my legs, still figuring out how exactly I'm doing this, uh, so that's cool. Theatrically speaking, as far as I know, is the only playwriting podcast on the internet. Uh, if you search in and out of all the tubes, I believe this is the only playwriting podcast you'll find. If anyone comes across another, please let me know. I'm interested. Why not? Cool. Cool. All right. So, so here's what we're going to do. I want to talk, uh, this is actually when I thought about doing a playwriting podcast, one of the first things that came to mind when I started thinking about the different things I could talk about, different things I could present, format, 
format was one of them. Format is kind of a funny thing because um, it's it's a funny thing for me because when I started thinking about graduate school some years ago, I had to make a choice as to whether to try to pursue like an MFA in playwriting or a degree in another area that would sort of support my desire to become a better playwright. And the sort of cynical joke that I told at the time, the the justification that I used for not going for an MFA in playwriting somewhere, uh, the snide remark I would always make was, but I already know how to format a play. What else are you going to teach me? And it, and it's kind of funny. Um, though, as, as I've become artistic director and started reading a bunch of plays that have been sent in, I have realized that even though I may make a throwaway comment like who, who doesn't know how to format, it has become apparent that there are quite a few people out there that do not know how to format. So what I'm going to talk about today is not only that, not only the basic stuff, but try to get into a little bit of why and what that does and why does anybody care and all are, are we all just kind of cranky. So so there's that. So the dumb stuff uh, or the, the basic stuff that you'll get in your playwriting classes and in many sort of uh, dry playwriting textbooks or books that you can find in your local bookstore, I'm going to tell you this. 12-point font. Please, 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 12-point font nothing less, nothing more. 12 is standard. 12 is what our eyes want. As far as the actual font goes, probably first choice would be some kind of courier. Um, it can, uh, there's And there's a couple in the courier family you can use that. Some folks use Times New Roman, and I can dig that. I can get, I can get behind Times New Roman, but nothing else. Nothing else. That is hard and fast. I swear, nothing else. Something in courier, Times New Roman, and that's fine. The Courier, if you've written in other forms, you will know that this is the hard and fast font for screenwriting, uh, for, for film and for television. And the reason for that is because of the way that scripts are formatted. When you use 12-point Courier and your, your margins are set up correctly, almost exactly one page of script is going to equal one minute of film. Almost exactly. This is not in this is not a hard and fast rule for theater because m- big monologues are going to be more than a minute and lots of short lines back and forth are going to be less than a minute per page but there is some sort of uh association because we're writing a script anyway most playwrights are going to use some kind of courier or Times New Roman, and that's fine. But nothing else. Uh, please, no no Ariel, no no nothing, no no Comic Sans. Uh, yeah, so so that's the dry and the boring stuff. Do that. The other thing, uh, a number of things that I come across uh, as far as plays that are being submitted to us is that it seems as though uh, a number of playwrights are gaining their formatting inspiration from actor scripts. So if you have a script, and and partially because if you've acted in something, you've got these scripts laying around your house. Uh, You know, from when you were in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest long ago, uh, you've got that script laying around. You're like, hey, how do I format my script? And you break out uh, Samuel French or Dramatist Play Scripts or something like that, Play Scripts Inc., and you're going to see a certain type of dialogue formatting. And that formatting is... 
name at the front of the line, and then dialogue right behind it, usually like a colon, maybe separating them, a couple of spaces, a dash, something like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Those scripts are actor scripts. These scripts are formatted in this particular way for a very specific reason. Because it saves space and therefore saves the publisher's money. This is not the formatting that you should use when you mail in your script to anybody or even when you're just kind of screwing around at home and working on your drafts. Don't get in the habit of doing this. It's done for a very specific reason. And yes, you are, uh, in a sense, if you are an unpublished or unrepresented playwright, you are publishing yourself to a very small extent, uh, to be sure, but you are your publisher, but don't do that. This is not the format that artistic directors or uh, or uh, 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 anybody at a theater company or even in your school, if you're in college or high school or something, nobody wants this format for a couple of reasons. One is that it's really hard to read. Everything is smooshed together. There's no space. There's no space in there. And your eyes kind of get crunched up in the middle. Now, as an actor, you break out your highlighter and you zip off your lines, and it's actually fine. You know, it's what we're used to, what actors are used to, what directors are used to a lot of the times. So that's fine for them. But for us playwrights who are trying to get people to read our stuff, we want to make it as easy to read as possible. And if you compare uh, sort of the recommended formatting for new playwrights that are out doing their submissions, compared to the Samuel French actor scripts, you're going to find that the Samuel French versions are a lot harder to read. And people aren't going to want to read them. They're not going to want to read them. Uh, So don't do it. Don't do that. That's bad. Stop it. The other thing that's going to happen is that you might find your favorite David Mamet anthology or your, you know, your big book of Shakespeare or something like that. And you're going to say, okay, so maybe this is what Ford Matting is supposed to be. No, not really. It's a little closer than those Samuel French or dramatist uh, actor scripts, but it's still not quite right. The spacing is usually really wonky. Um, You're looking at a lot of double spacing. You're looking at a lot of weird margins. You're looking at a layout specifically for someone to pick up and read leisurely. And, And I have issues with people thinking that they should randomly pick up a play and read it as literature, Uh, but don't format your play that way. Also, not really something that theater companies are looking for. And there's, there's you know, a number of reasons for this that we're going to get into in a little bit. But, um, but uh, these, these published anthologies, they're trying to fill a lot of space. They want you to think that you're buying a 500-page book or a 200-page book when really, when formatted correctly, that play may be 60 pages, 80 pages, something like that. So, um, so don't, follow, don't follow them as your, as your advice for... Uh, for how to format your play. So that's just sort of the general thing there. Um, what uh, what I'd like to talk about now are... So, so that's sort of like the quick follow these rules really fast. And, and they're, they sort of come across there as don't do this, don't do this. So what exactly should it be? Um, you can find... I'm guessing that most of you guys have, have taken a a playwriting class in college, maybe, or maybe you have a playwriting book, maybe, or maybe um, you've already uh, done some internet searching and you have found some instructions on how to format your play, and that's cool. Uh, If you've not done that, generically, what can get you started for now? Take the, the name of your character, 
center it. Next line from left to right, right, no centering, no justifying. Just write the dialogue. That's cool. 12 point courier something or Times New Roman. And that's good and that's generic. No double space between them. So you've got character name, line of dialogue, extra space, next character's name, next line of dialogue. And that's sort of good enough for now if you have stage directions. Um, maybe write justify or maybe sort of clump them together, tab them all over. As long as you're consistent throughout your entire piece, generically that's fine for now, though you would probably want to take a look at some writing books uh, or take a look at some websites that have some formatting tips and techniques. And that's probably that's probably fine. Just um, as, a, as a general sense, you just want it all to look the same. You just want it to be consistent from beginning to end. And you want it to look sort of appropriate. And that's probably a good place to start for that. So, the first two pages of your script are actually pretty important. Uh, they are important for a number of reasons. I get a number of... Uh, there, there have been a number of plays sent in to us here at the New Playhouse that have looked kind of pretty wonky from the beginning. Uh, stuff that just does not make sense, that is hard to read. And here's what it is. Very simple. Page one. Title of your play. By Jonah Knight. Or by you. You don't have to credit me for your play. You can do the same thing. You can do, as far as size of font goes, I would not make it multiple colors. I would not use 50-something font for your title. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe 14. 12 is fine. 12 is fine. And then, this is up to you. At the bottom, either in the right-hand corner or the left-hand corner, you can do whatever. Probably the right-hand corner is a little more standard, but if you love the left-hand corner, you can do that too. Give me contact information for you. Your name again, mailing address, phone number, email address, website, any of that kind of thing, put it there. Make sure you put it there. We have gotten plays in the past that have not had contact information for the author. Now... I would say that none of the plays that we've gotten that have not included contact information have been something that we've wanted to produce. But if we had, how would we find you? Because it was on your letter of introduction? No, I threw that out a long time ago. All I've got is your script. I've got your script. I passed it on to our literary director. I passed it on to the um, uh, to, to anybody else, someone on the board of directors or an actor that I trust. And I don't have your phone number anymore. Phone number, contact information on front cover of script. Great. Page two. Page two is a little bit, uh, 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 um, let's say contentious from time to time. What exactly should be on this page? If you, some playwriting books or classes are going to be very, very specific about what exactly should be here. But in reality, it's a little bit, there's, this is an area for you to have a little bit of creativity with as long as some elements are presented. For example, you're going to absolutely need a list of characters. Character list. You can give it a heading, and you say characters, or players, or dramatic persona, or whatever you want to say, as long as you say something. Uh, again, same formatting, 12-point uh, font, whatever your font is, all the way through. Uh, maybe you can bold your heading. That would be acceptable. But give me a list of your characters. And after that, I would encourage that you tell me something about them. Now, you may not necessarily do this. There are certainly playwrights who will give you the name of the character and then not tell you a whole lot. On the other end of that, 
there are playwrights who will give you the name of the character and then write five paragraphs about their backstory. I don't need that either. Uh, you know, don't, don't tell me that. At least you might want to clue me in as far as gender goes. You might want to give me an age range. Certainly, we want to be accommodating for whatever actor we want to find. If it is absolutely integral to the production of your play that this character be 30 years old, say, this guy's 30 years old. Or you can say 25 to 35. Some kind. You can give me an age range. That's cool. You might give me a profession, waitress, accountant, whatever. You might even say, like, his mom died last week or, or whatever. You can tell me whatever you want. Um, but please tell me a little bit of something. A little bit of something is nice. There are certainly playwrights that don't. Uh, that don't tell you anything there. Just give you the the list of characters, and you know, I, I'd prefer I would prefer to know a little bit of something. You're also going to see in uh, in these very dry textbooks that you should absolutely include the time, the place, uh, the breakdown of acts or scenes in the play, and this is where you can be a little bit creative. So what I've done is I pulled a couple of scripts off my shelf. And I got them here, and uh, I think I just closed that. No, no, I got a bookmark in this first one. So I'm going to read you some of these things and sort of tell you why they are what they are um, and say that, you know, it's all, it's all cool. So this first one is the, um, the Dramatist Play Service, Inc. actor script for The Cryptogram by David Mamet. You open it up, and on this page two, the equivalent of page two in this book, heading characters. Characters is bold. It looks like it's a little bit larger font. It's centered in the page. And he lists Donnie, a woman in her late 30s, Dell, a man of the same age, John, Donnie's son, around 10. Cool. That's cool. Tell me a little something. Um, underneath that, in a non-heading uh, uh, section, it says, the action takes place in Donnie's living room in 1959. All right. So what that's just done is it's told us the time, and it's told us the place. Now, he didn't say New Jersey. He didn't say, you know, on the moon. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, 1959, a living room. Good enough. Maybe later in the play, we're going to find out some geographical specificity or something like that. But for now, don't care. Okay, 1959, living room. Gotcha. Donnie's house. And then under that, he lists this. One. Bold. One is bolded. Under it, it says, one evening. Two, bolded, the next night. Three, evening, one month later. I'm assuming one, two, and three mean act one, act two, act three. That's cool. He didn't want to say it, but that's David Mamet for you. He didn't have to say whatever the hell he wants to say. Says exactly nothing or more. Uh, whatever the mood, whatever the mood hits him. So that's great. End of the cryptogram. Next book I got, Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett, because everybody loves this play. Act one at the top of the equivalent of page two says act one in all kinds of wonky font lettering. And now if you as a playwright were looking at this for a guide uh, as far as font and layout goes, this would be wrong. Don't do this. Um, Act one in all kinds of crazy formatting at the top under it. No heading. A country road period. A tree period. Space space evening. So there you go. He's told us place country road a tree that's fine do i care what country it's in not right now i know we're outside i know there's a tree and there's a road evening uh yeah okay that's cool that's cool you don't have to tell me what year it is it may not matter and if you know uh waiting for godot uh, it doesn't really matter what year it is sort of uh, you can add that in if you want doesn't really matter so that's cool um 
a country road, a tree, evening, are italicsed. You can do that if you want. Don't need to. Whatever. This is the format for the, the published version from Grove Press. That's cool. And then the cover has uh, two lonely-looking men uh, walking along a hill with a moon and a tree. Hmm. It's very sad. Very sad cover. Very sad play. All right. Done with that one. Next one. Lobster Alice. I love this play. A comedy by Kira Obolensky. I've never actually heard your name pronounced, Kira. It might be Kyra. I'm not sure. I saw a production of this play. Love it. Love it to death. Highly recommend it. Lobster Alice is the title. So, equivalent of page two. Cast of characters. Salvador Dali, a surrealist. John Finch, an animator. Alice Horowitz, Finch's assistant. Doesn't tell me how old they are. That's cool. Character four, Thornton slash the Caterpillar. Ooh, this is a good play. A beautiful boy, 19 or so. Okay, so we know that he's 19. Everybody else, probably older than that, we can guess. I don't care. Don't don't need to know how old Salvador Dali is in this play. Uh, though he's a great character in this play. Okay, under that, setting. The play takes place in John Finch's studio in Burbank, California. There is a window through which the landscape of Burbank can be seen. There is a desk for Alice. Finch's studio is the space of a creative, organized person. There is a large drawing board. Various drawings are printed up. A few photographs around. A storyboard. Finch is working on Alice in Wonderland. Oh, good play, good play. Okay, that's setting. What do we know? Uh, We know we're in California. Burbank. Okay, Burbank. You know something about California? Uh, They make movies around there, maybe? Uh, I don't know. Doesn't need to say that in the setting. There's a desk. There's a window. We know this. That's great. It's an organized space. It's kind of fun. Okay, maybe a little bit anal. We can read that into it. Photographs, storyboard. Cool. Now, that's all that there is on page two. However, she includes this. Heading. Fact. In 1946, the surrealist Salvador Dali went to Hollywood. He spent six weeks at a large studio where he had been commissioned to create a short animated surrealist ballet based on the popular song Destino, or You Tempt Me. He spent most of his time with a young animator who was working on the color styling and design of Alice in Wonderland. This play is a fictional speculation on the course of those six weeks. (laughs) Okay, so... Kira, Kyra, Kira, did not give us a time heading, but she did give us 1946, Surrealist uh, Salvador Dali. Okay, cool, cool. Um, I think I get it. That's a little bit creative. If you're writing something maybe based on history, something a little bit factual in your play, and you want to include fact in this year, blah, 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 you can go ahead and do that. Why not? Why not? That's cool. It gives me, the reader, the artistic director, the literary director, your pal, the actor or director, um, we have something to latch on to. We're like, oh, okay, I get you. I get you. I got your cast size. I got your time. I got your place. I got this vision in my head. And that's cool. I dig it. Great play, Lobster Alice. If you have, if you guys, you listeners out there, if you have any uh, any ability to produce a play, I highly recommend Lobster Alice, especially if you know a crazy actor who you think uh, could be a great Salvador Dali. Uh, oh, good play, good play. All right, last one, because I love Alan Akeborn, I picked up my uh, collection, The Norman Conquests, to read what he's got at the beginning. His page two, characters, Reg, Sarah, his wife, Ruth, Reg's sister, Norman, her husband, Annie, Reg and Ruth, Annie, comma, Reg and Ruth's younger sister, Tom. Okay, yeah, okay. Scene, the dining room, 
time, a weekend in July. Perfect. Do I care how old Reg, Sarah, Ruth, Norman, Annie, and Tom are? Well, not necessarily right now. Well, Reg and Sarah are old enough to be married, so that means that no one's two. That's cool. Um, Sister, husband, younger sister, and Tom, whoever the hell Tom is, just some dude who walks by. Actually, I think he's the gardener. Scene. Scene the dining room. Dining room's great. Don't need any more than that. All right, it's a house. We're in a dining room. Time, a weekend in July. Doesn't matter what year it is. Right now, no, doesn't matter. It's the summer. It's a house. Dining room. Got a bunch of people. They're kind of related somehow, except for crazy Tom. But that's fine. That's all you need. I swear that's all you need. So, your logical, uh, a, a perfectly reasonable question for you, the playwright, to be asking is, why? So what? Who cares? Why can't I make it 14-point aerial? Why can't I use Comic Sans or Wing Bats? It's my damn play. I can do whatever I want with it. Yes, you absolutely can. You totally can. I'm not trying to, and nobody's trying to make you stop being creative or live in a box. But the reality of it is that if you give me your play, if you give anybody your play and you say, hey, give me some feedback, do you want to produce this play? What you are asking for is a job. You are asking for a professional relationship. And I, as your potential employer, want to make sure that whoever I hire is going to behave professionally. I don't want, even if I, if I really like the ideas in your script and you've got some good stuff going on, I am not going to hire a lunatic. This industry is, is, so, is so up and down. There's no guarantee of money anywhere. I mean, we hope. We do hope. Um, we are potentially going to go bankrupt on every show. <laughs> and I don't mean just the new Playhouse. I mean every theater company out there. And it's not going to make... It, it's so much easier to hire a dead guy. It's so much easier for me to do a Shaw play or a Shakespeare play or, you know, Moliere or some somebody who's already dead who's not going to show up and act crazy during rehearsal, who's not going to demand outrageous uh, perks, someone who's not going to... We don't want someone to come in and disrupt it. We want it to be as smooth as possible. We want it to be a great experience. Sure, we want it to transcend the industry. We want something that's going to catch everybody's attention and make everyone look at us and say, I got to go see that show. I want to go see plays by that theater company and make stars of our actors who are then going to draw more audience. And then we're going to do another play by you because everybody loved your last play. And then you're going to become a marketable name. And that's going to be awesome. But we are not going to take the risk on someone who cannot, at minimum, figure out what font to use. And it's, that's the reality. That is totally the reality. You may have never been produced before. This may be your first play. You may be 14 years old in high school, and that's totally cool. My question is, can you behave professionally? Can you respect this industry enough to format your play like you're a pro? You may not be a pro. In fact, if you're not, fool me. 
Give me a great play, a great first play, something astounding and mesmerizing and send it in and make me read it and say, oh my God, this is it. This is what is going to bring theater to the next level. This is what's going to compete with the intranets. Tell me that. Give me that. And I don't care if you've never been produced before. I don't need you to have been produced before. I just need you to be a business partner. That is all that I need. And in fact, that is the end of this show. Next episode, 3.2, we're going to talk more specifically about how you can now take this well-formatted, thought-out script and give it to me, what you can expect in return, what your odds are, what your chances are of getting produced. I say this as a playwright and as an artistic director. That is all coming up next episode, which will be out next week, assuming that nobody comes and uh, takes over my house. And I don't think they will. I think that'll be cool. All right, you dig it? www.jonahofthesea.com. You can check out Jonah Knight at MySpace. You can check out Jonah Knight at Facebook. You can um, go to iTunes and write a lovely review, and that would be very kind. Or you could tell your friends about the show, and we'll become famous. And then I'll get um, a whole bunch of money. All thanks to you. Or you can send me an email, jonah at jonahofthesea.com. It's very cool. All right. I will talk at you later. And I don't take kids to the zoo. Video games are going to run your brain. And all these internets are for idiots. But I love you, baby, dear. But you ain't no Shakespeare. Try to make me to be high class. And I would take advantage on your ass.